Pizza City is brought to you in part by United Healthcare. How crazy is it to think you can actually have your insurance company pay you to walk? United Healthcare isn't crazy. They just want you to be healthy. One of their programs is called United Healthcare Motion, where members can earn more than a thousand bucks a year toward their health reimbursement account just for walking. If your company works with United Healthcare, ask your friendly HR person about their programs. And if not, go tell them to switch today. Go to uhc.com slash Illinois Motion to get more information. United Healthcare, a proud supporter of the Illinois Restaurant Association and committed to your good health. I reached out to Polly, I reached out to two others, and Polly was actually the one that took the most time to get back to me in terms of just spending time and effort. So, you know, we texted, we had phone calls, we had emails, we got to know each other, we visited each other in each other's cities. It's like any good relationship just building up. Um, and eventually he said, you know, would you like to work with me and open up a spot in Chicago? And my wife and I hemmed and hawed about it for probably about three nights. And ultimately the question for us was, would we regret, would we kick ourselves for not trying? How does a first-generation Chinese biology major go from med school to a life in pizza? Perseverance, for one thing, and a lot of passion. Derek Tung is the self-proclaimed black sheep of his family, but his hard work and enthusiasm for both wood-fired and Detroit-style pies have helped make him one of the most successful pizzaiolos in Chicago. The story behind Pauly G's Logan Square and its creative partner, straight ahead. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Belinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome to the show this week, everybody. Great to have you along with us. So we've got a great show for you today. It's a part two, really, because two weeks ago, if you weren't with us, we talked to Paulie G of the namesake in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and his slice shop. And he referred to his sort of mentee, Derek Tung, a couple of times. Uh, he opened uh, Pauly G's Logan Square. Pauly G's got um, stores in Columbus and Baltimore. Uh, he did close one in Miami, but he's got those other two. And then he's got Chicago. And we talked a little bit about that story last week, but I really wanted to get deeper into Derek's story because this is really, it is very atypical, by the way. I mean, first generation Chinese parents were studied in Taiwan and studied in America, got their master's, very highly educated family. Of course, a lot expected for Derek, went to med school. I'll I'll let him tell the story, but as you can see going on this path, not a pizza path. And now he is considered one of the best pizza makers in Chicago. He's finally got the point where he's got this great staff. He can relax a little bit, um, as he did when I when I did the interview with him. And one of the things that he's really done that's unique, and this is what, you know, credit to Paul E.G., he lets guys kind of develop their own things because he's got to give them creativity and let room to grow. And so Derek has not only done those wood-fired artisan sort of neo-Neapolitan pies in the wood-fired ovens at Pauly G's, but he's also developed a really outstanding Detroit-style pie based on just kind of going to Detroit, falling in love with it, and then really, really tweaking it and messing around. And he's got a U.S. pizza cup that's called on the menu, which is fantastic. He's got bacon jam and fresh ricotta, fresh basil, Mike's Hot Honey. 
and he also does a, a vegan one, and he's got a gluten-free one, and a remarkable pizza. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, it, that he's got a Detroit style. And here's one of the big challenges if you're coming to do business in Chicago from New York. There's obviously that bias built in. Chicagoans have got a thing about New Yorkers coming to Chicago and telling them what they should like and what is good and what they think is is excellent. And so you've seen people from other cities like Wolfgang Puck came here and did Spago for a couple of years. That went away. Blue Water Grill came here from New York. That went away. I remember way back in the day, Itre Merrily from New York was here and that didn't do well. Didn't last very long. Anyway, when someone comes in from New York and says this famous New York pizza place is going to be smack dab in the middle of Chicago, I think that was another hurdle for, for Derek to overcome, even though... Um, he had spent years uh, working, well, several, uh, quite a while working with him in Columbus and in New York and then opening his own place here. And, and he's a local guy um, and lives in the suburbs in Chicago. And so he was really the Chicagoan making the commitment to carrying on the Pauly G's brand here, but he's kind of made it his own. So anyway, I caught up with him recently at the store on a very busy weeknight, and um, it was kind enough to take a couple of minutes to talk to me. All right, Derek, thanks for taking some time here during service. Uh, usually I'm talking to people when it's off hours, but you actually got a full dining room right now. I've got a strong staff that can handle it without me now, finally. So it's taking some time, but I'm, I'm very fortunate with the staff I have. All right, before we get into your history, which is very interesting, um, tell me about your first pizza memory. My first pizza memory? Um, my early pizza memories are always with Pizza Hut. My, you know, my parents came here. They were immigrants. They came with very little in their pockets. And we rarely went out to eat. And one of the few times that we could go out to eat was this program called Book It at grade school. And I read enough books that I could score six to seven tickets. And the whole family, including my grandparents, would go out. We would each get a personal pan pizza. Um, that's really one of the earlier ones where it, you know, pizza made me realize that it's really a good community food. I could trade pizza with my dad that night. He'd get something different and try different things. Uh, my other really early pizza memory was probably when I was about three or four eating at Barnaby's. And I, the pizza was not memorable, but Ms. Pac-Man was. It's the first video game I ever played in a pizzeria. So I remember my aunt holding me up on her knee while I lost immediately in Ms. Pac-Man. And, and Barnaby's is that suburban, thin-slash-tavern-style, square-cut North Shore Chicago pizza, yeah? Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they rolled the crust, and it was just square-cut pizza. Like I said, I don't, I don't remember eating the pizza there when I was a kid, but that, that video game memory made me really like pizzerias for some reason. So. <laughs> and your folks were from where? Uh, so they're educated in Taiwan, born in China in one of the provinces, um, and then they got their master's in Taiwan as well as a second master's in the States. Uh, my mom in Florida, my dad in Colorado before they moved to Chicago together. And like, uh, you know, hardworking immigrants, they have their son, Derek, they're going to send him off to school, get a great education, <laughs> and study, what, medicine? Yes, yes. So I am the black sheep of the family. I, I Graduated a boarding high school with a guaranteed spot in medical school. Got my biology degree. Went to med school for two years. Decided this wasn't for me. Left med school while they were overseas, so they couldn't say anything about it. Oh, very um, devious. Yeah. <laughs> but I ended up going after my master's in healthcare administration. Did that. Um, worked in a state hospital for a while. Did healthcare consulting for about four or five years. Um, and then at that point, really, my passion for pizza just grew. I built a wood-fired oven on the back of a trailer, did farmer's markets on the weekends and private events, and at some point decided this is really what I enjoy in life and wanted to open up a restaurant. Did, did you find the biology, the medicine, that sort of analytical or the science part of it, did that help you at all in, in getting into pizza? 
you know, the, the chemistry aspect definitely helped me understand the dough processes a little better. Um, a lot of my pizza learnings came from YouTube videos and learning how to stretch and watching how pizza masters stretch, but also a, a forum called pizzamakingforum.com where there's just tens of thousands of posts on different pizza recipes, pictures, formulations, variations, things like that. Um, so really trying to understand the chemical aspects of cooking became a very important part of the pizzeria dough that we developed. So how old are you when you're doing this sort of weekend hobby thing with the, the thing that you built? Um, and, and sort of where are you in life? Are you married at this point? The weekend hobby thing, yeah, we were married at that point right around eight years ago. Um, and, you know, I just continued to delve into it. Every weekend I was making more and more pizzas and staying busy, and it just kind of grew from there. You're going to start a family, and you're, you're messing with pizzas, and you're getting, but you're, you're in healthcare consulting or healthcare administration. How, how, what happened? Something broke. So, you know, I just realized that as much as I love working with my coworkers, my passion just wasn't in it. I mean, I could probably see myself working, consulting, and retiring there. Great benefits, great money, things like that. But, you know, at some point I realized, like, pizza was really my passion. Like, I just really fell in love with the art of making a great pizza, studying pizza, creating new ingredients and concepts, and just hosting people into, you know, my own home and having them over and catching up with them, getting to know them. And a lot of that translates here at the restaurant. You know, more and more now that I have a great staff, I can walk the floor, talk to my regulars, talk to new folks, find out, you know, how's their experience going, get to know their families, and it's, it's become exactly what I wanted to do. Hearing you talk about this is so interesting because on our last show two weeks ago, we talked to you and your, your, your mentor, your partner, Paulie G, um, and he had this sort of the same thing. He has a corporate job, doesn't really love it, loves pizza, loves having people over entertaining, and goes down this path. And so, you know, your paths, how did your paths cross? Because I understood what he told me. You reached out to him as looking for a mentor, and then you guys got together. Yep. So like any good relationship nowadays, we met online. Um, it was through a Serious Eats article, I believe. Um, they had, did a three-part interview on him, and one of the questions that they had, he responded with, you know, if anyone's looking for a mentor that wants to help them get into their own brick and mortar eventually, he'd be happy to be their mentor. At that point in time, I had actually reached out to three mentors across the U.S., um, and they were all folks that had gone through a midlife career change that were doing some type of wood-fired pizza and that did not grow up in the restaurant industry and that also weren't diehard Italians. Now, I don't say that because I don't like Italians, but there's a lot of diehard Italian pizza makers out there that believe unless you're Italian, you don't make a good pizza. Um, and I, I just wasn't looking to run up against that type of resistance. You clearly haven't seen what's going on in Tokyo or Japan these days, but yeah. Oh, Tokyo's putting some yeah. phenomenal stuff out. I can't wait to go try it at some point. So you reach out to Pauly G? I reached out to Pauly, I reached out to two others, and Pauly was actually the one that took the most time to get back to me in terms of just spending time and effort. So, you know, we texted, we had phone calls, we had emails, we got to know each other, we visited each other in each other's cities. It's like any good relationship, just building up. Um, and eventually he said, you know, would you like to work with me and open up a spot in Chicago? And my wife and I hemmed and hawed about it for probably about three nights. And ultimately the question for us was, would we regret, would we kick ourselves for not trying? And we said, probably. So we decided to go forth. We focused in on a whole bunch of different neighborhoods. Wicker Park was difficult to find anything good. There was one or two spots that we negotiated pretty far on, the landlord being, ended up being a little crazy. Um, one of the key things, you know, just advice-wise, make sure you have a good landlord always and someone that you can have a good relationship with because once you sign a deal it's not like an investor that you might be able to buy out your landlord's your landlord for life um, so we we looked at you know old town wicker park logan square avondale quite a few different places i probably walked through about a hundred different spaces negotiated 
seriously negotiated on about seven of them before we ended up here. And you're going down this path, again, with not a lot of professional pizza experience, a passion, a, a hobby, right. and sort of pinning your hopes on the, on the fact that your mentor is going to help you get this thing going. So from the professional pizza experience-wise, at that point I had done a whole summer's worth of catering and farmers markets and then while I was doing the search I ended up getting a job at Fiamme in Naperville um, and I let them know from the start you know I'm in the process of looking for my own restaurant and I think they probably took that with a grain of salt I mean they you know like everyone does right everyone on the line is looking to open up their own restaurant um, so I worked there for a while just to really get an understanding of different positions and how it works from the back of house versus front of house um, and then ultimately when I trained at Pauly's I probably worked there for about three months off and on for various times. Some of it was to help him out when he was opening up in Columbus. Other times it was just for me to learn. And so I worked everything from playing Polly, running around, being the host, you know, I would serving limoncello, serving limoncello, washing dishes, bartending, making pizza, just doing everything so I could really understand all the positions and just how they flowed. And I heard while you were looking for this space that we're standing in right now in Logan Square, you and your wife would go on trips and you ended up going to Detroit and trying Detroit style pizza, right? We did. We did. Um, you know, we went on trips. So for that two year period where we were saving money and deciding to try to open up the restaurant, we would look at the map and just say, who are friends we haven't visited yet? And then cross reference that with uh, the Daily Meals America's Top 100 Pizzas. Arthur so, Bovino's list. Yes, yes. And so we would take a look at that and try to cross-reference it and then hit as many spots as we could on the way. One of them happened to be Detroit, Buddy's Pizza. Uh, first time I had Buddy's just blew my mind. I had never had Detroit before. Chicago at that point had not had Detroit pizza and it had not really been widespread. And it was just this like crispy crust, light, fluffy area inside. Um, phenomenal toppings. It, it was delicious. I mean, we had it in the car. Like, I grabbed it to go, and it was amazing. So then I started trying to recreate buddies at home and eventually at the pizzeria, only to find my memory is totally skewed, and what we've created was not drastically different, but fairly different than Buddy's. But, you know, it's our own version of a Detroit-style pizza. And, and again, going into opening this business, your initial plan is you're going to make Pauly G's pizza, his recipes, he's working with you. You've got two big, beautiful tile ovens here, sort of the bee, beehive shape. You're doing wood-fired artisan pizza. And yet, Detroit sort of creeps into your menu a bit, right? As a special first and then as a regular. It did. I did not know how Chicago would react to Detroit-style pizza. I mean, at that point, there was Jets Pizza and Little Caesars representing Detroit mostly. Um, and then there was right around the time we opened Evanston, Union Square. Union, Union Squared. Square opened up. And so they were the first of the scene doing a, a really gourmet-ish kind of Detroit-style pizza. Um, so, you know, we tested it out. We started with Sunday, Monday, and Wednesdays because we weren't open on Tuesdays yet. And we did Detroit pizzas then. And eventually our crowds grew to love it more and more. They were getting upset with me on Fridays. They'd come and say, you know, I came for the Detroit. What do you mean you don't do it on Friday? Um, so we decided to bite the bullet and we started making Detroits all the time. Um, and that meant adding a staff member, but it also meant a lot more prep time because the Detroits take a lot of time to make the dough and let it rise and do it properly. Is it is a challenge, like Chicago is one of those cities they like to support the local, and so you're bringing in a name from New York or out of town. Locals get a little bit, I don't know, edgy about that, right? But you're the local guy in this case. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that was a little bit of a challenge, too, up front. A lot of the articles that talked about us early on said, you know, Pauly G's hailing from Brooklyn, great Brooklyn pizza is coming to Chicago. Well, really, we're not doing Brooklyn-style pizza. We're not doing New York-style pizza. And there is this rift between Chicago, this food battle or whatever battle between Chicago and New York. So I think that's something that we had to fight off a little bit, too. Um, but little by little, you know, the guests that have come to visit us just realize, you know, we're just trying to make the best wood-fired pizza that we know how. We're just trying to make the best 
square style Detroit inspired pizza that we know how. We're not really trying to represent New York or trying to represent Detroit. We're just making pizza that we love to eat. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this Detroit style that has, I don't say taken over, but has definitely worked its way onto Derek's menu here pretty significantly uh, in Chicago. And we're also going to preview some scenes from our next show coming up in two weeks. So stay with us. You've been hearing a lot about cup and char pepperoni lately from New York to Detroit and even L.A., the nubby tiny cups curl up when baked due to their natural casing with charred edges and tiny flavor jammed interiors. Hormel's been making cupping pepperoni since the 1940s and now their Rosa Grande cup and char pepperoni is showing up in some of the best pizzerias in America. The natural and collagen casings have an intensely savory smoky flavor with a kick from spices like cayenne, red pepper, anise, paprika, and fennel. Every stick is inspected by hand to ensure the best quality. They come four ways. Thick cut, that's eight slices per ounce. Thin cut, extreme, with extra garlic and black pepper. And if you want to slice them yourself, you can get them as a whole stick. I got to try some of each, and let me tell you, these little babies pack a ton of flavor. To try some for free, just go to rosagrandepepperoni.com slash pizza city. And if you own a pizzeria or work for one, here's the deal. They'll send you a 25-pound case of any of the varieties I just mentioned by simply filling out the form. That's rosagrandepepperoni.com slash pizza city to try some for yourself. Rosa Grande, cupping and charring the pizza world. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're here uh, at Poly G's Logan Square in Chicago with Derek Tong, the owner here. Um, as you heard two weeks ago, we talked to Pauly G about his pizza style. We don't need to reiterate that here, Derek, because you've already talked about uh, a little bit about your love for Detroit style. And so you've got this Logan Squares, they're called, uh, on your menu. How many kinds do you make? And um, tell me a little bit about you know the, how it's being made. Sure. So we make three of the same ones every month. That's the cheese of ore, it's just a cheese one. A US pizza cup, which is one that I had won a local cham- a local competition with, which got me a free trip to Italy and a spot on the US pizza team. And then a carnivore, which is an all pepperoni pizza, which was originally meant as a joke, because Paulie doesn't allow pepperoni on his pizzas, on his wood-fired, so we call it the prohibited pepperoni, one of Paulie's many prohibited peas ingredients. Um, and then we do two rotating pizzas every single month based on whatever ideas we have or whatever we want to test or what might be seasonal. And that's the omnivore and an herbivore. And then we do variations of that. So over the three years that we've been making it, little by little, we introduced and found some great vegan cheeses that work really well to create that crispy and flavorful crust. Um, That was the biggest thing holding us back at first. And then eventually, uh, thanks to Vincent Rotolo out of Good Pie and Evil Pie, he introduced me to the first gluten-free pizza that I really just could barely tell the difference between a a gluten-free versus regular. And so he taught us his recipe and we took it a little bit further in terms of how we wanted to develop it. And so we do a gluten-free pie here as well now. If people are interested, we had Vincent on his show a couple weeks ago, so check out that show in Vegas about his talking about grandmas. Okay, so how much R&D goes into this? Obviously, you know, time and temperature I know are extremely important in making pizza. How long before you felt like, I I got this recipe down now? Because it must have taken a little while. It did take quite a while. Um, You know, first when we started, we were doing a pretty simple one. And, you know, about three months in, we were happy with what we had. But then we started experimenting with flour. And then we started playing with healthier flours, better flours, things like that. And so that changed how the gluten structures would create and what type of rise we would get. So then we had to play with our rises. And as we played with our rises, we found that there was less flavor because we were using a different flour. So now we were starting to play with sourdough. 
Um, so we do a sourdough starter for all the pizzas now on the square side. And then we use a 100% hydration starter for our gluten-free one. And so we've played with that for a while. Um, we haven't really messed with our cheeses too much. We've been pretty happy with our cheeses. We're about to make a couple small changes to the cheeses we get. Um, the, the biggest change that we've had to play with now is ovens. We've gone through to four different ovens for our squares. Uh, we inherited a Baker's Pride Tornado, so started with that. After the one disastrous night where that thing went down, we switched for one week over to just a standard home oven kind of thing that was equipped in the kitchen, so part of our six burner oven. And then we introduced a countertop pizza master. And just two weeks ago, we introduced a full-size pizza master. So each one of these ovens, even, even between the pizza masters, you know, the heat runs differently, the heat flows differently. So finding the right temperature, the right firing patterns to make sure that we're getting the best pizza we can is, uh, is a continuous experiential process. You just keep playing with it, keep tweaking with it, seeing what else we can do with it. The majority of it is an all Trump's natural flour, so it's unbleached, unbromated flour. Um, bleaching and bromation was something we played with early on when we first opened the pizzeria. And things like that, you know, they, they help whiten the dough and they make it great. But the key thing with bleach and bromated flour is it's almost like a cheater's guide to be able to get really great rise really quickly and s stable rise. Um, yeah, Anthony Falco, not a fan of the all Trumps, but this is not bromated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the unbleached, unbromated. Actually, bleached and bromated flowers are banned everywhere in the world except for the U.S. So it's, it's interesting to see. Um, you know, there's articles going either way, but really we wanted to try to create a more healthy version and just we don't want to deal with those type of potential carcinogens. So we made the switch over and found, you know, we had to make some significant changes to it. A lot of water, a lot of hydration? A lot of hydration. We run about a 75% hydration dough for our standard Detroits, and then for our gluten-free, it's 100% hydration dough. Um, and that, that makes it easy from a work, workflow perspective for us to work with. Proofing time like overnight typically or two days? No, actually our proofing time is typically same day. We make it early in the morning and we let it rise uh, usually about four to five hours. We do introduce a little bit of yeast to help push the sourdough along at times. It really depends on the, the ambient temperature of the restaurant and the air as a whole. So we're, you know, we're always taking the temperature of the flour, temperature of the water, temperature of the ambient air. And we have a formula that helps us kind of identify how much time we need and how to adjust. You know, in Detroit, they put them into these square blue steel pans. Many of them have been seasoned. Is that the same thing here? Yep. So we have seasoned pans. We have two different types of pans. We have the old school blue steel pans for our gluten-free ones, specifically so we know those pans are just for the gluten-freeze. And then we have a new school one that's a, that's a pressed pan. It's not, and it's an aluminum pan that's completely sealed off. And those have a better release and a cleaner release, so we end up using those for our regular Detroit pans. Detroit has that beautiful cheese frico around the edge of the pizza. Uh, I think traditionally it's brick cheese, a higher fat cheese from Wisconsin. A lot of guys are doing white cheddar or mozz or, or maybe a combination. What do you find works best? So, you know, I, I did these tests with guests as well as my family before we opened up. Um, and ultimately, they prefer the sharp white cheddar. So we played with brick, we played with mozzarella, sharp white cheddar, we played with Parmesan, which ended up being too expensive. Um, we found that sharp white cheddar was the best from a taste and texture perspective, ultimately. But it has to be a young sharp white cheddar. Uh, all the stuff that's aged, anything especially past a year, ends up releasing too much oil and you end up having a really greasy pizza. So you want a very young sharp white cheddar that, you know, ideally you hand shred and you kind of tuck into the corners and make it happen. So people are fighting over, they want the corner pieces because you get the two sides, right, that are crispy. Absolutely, absolutely. And then after, so then that's the bake, and then usually post-bake you do sauce, yeah? 
Uh, Post-bake we do sauce. There are some pies that we do the sauce on pre-bake. Like I said, it just depends on what we're designing at the time. But traditionally, post-bake they do sauce in Detroit. Some places do it warm, some places do it room temperature. It just depends on where you're going. But we, uh, for a while, we did cold sauce. Um, I really like the contrast of the cold tomatoes versus the hot cheese, and it also provides a layer so that you can bite right in and you won't burn your mouth with cheese. Um, we had a lot of guests that were kind of off-put by it, so now we're doing more of a room temperature sauce. You uh, mess with the tomato sauce at all, or do you have a type, type of tomato sauce you like? No, I like stainless sauce. We use 7-Eleven stainless sauce tomatoes. Um, for the Detroit pizzas, we source everything within the Midwest where we can, or if not, in the U.S. if possible. Whereas for the wood-fired, you know, most everything there is Italian. And the prohibited pepperoni in this case would be, is it, is it Etzo or it Iso? Etzo, yep. We use Etzo, not the Supremes. I got, I got to remember which one it was. But but. This is that natural casing that sort of curls up and gets you a little bit of grease pocket in the middle. They call it cup and char. Yep, that cup and char pepperoni is exactly what we're looking for. For U.S. pizza cup, you also have a layer of bacon jam, and then you squeeze some fresh ricotta on it and fresh basil and Mike's hot honey. Absolutely. So that was a lot for partially for flavor, but also just, you know, we eat with our eyes first, so that variation in color was really important. We have a lot of red and a lot of brown thanks to the cheese and the sauce, but, you know, I wanted to add some ricotta for whiteness, and then something to contrast that was a little bit of basil, fresh basil and hot honey adds a little yellow to it, so it's, it's just beautiful to look at. Obviously, you know this as well as anybody, Instagram is such a part of the experience now. Guys like Justin at Apollonia in L.A., his beautiful cheese crowns. Do you think about that a lot, like the visual? How is this going to look in social media, or is it all about just being creative and the taste and that's it? You know, for most pizzas, I'll always think about, the first thing we always think about is how does this taste? Is there multiple textures? Is there multiple flavors that our guests are going to go through? And then when we finish that part of the R&D, we'll always talk about, well, how's this look? Is this too brown? Is it too one note? Can we do something else to add some color to it? I mean, I think we always eat with our eyes first, and it's important, but ultimately it needs to taste good. And if it doesn't taste good, it doesn't matter how pretty it is, no one's going to want to get it again. Uh, does your, your, your business partner, your Brooklyn native business partner, give you a hard time about having this other pizza on your menu when his name is on the facade? You know, originally he told me not to do it. He was, um, we were concerned about costs, and you know, we talked about how to add an extra person and things like that. He didn't know if it would do well in Chicago. Um, and little by little, he's, I mean, he's very encouraging and he likes us to do our own thing. But he, he gave the advice of saying, well, maybe you should think about pulling it off the menu for now. Um, but it has grown to the point now, you know, it's about 40% of our pizza sales. So it's, it's taking its time, but it's definitely getting up there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he loves it. He's coming many times and he loves it. He's chowed down on it, posted about it, and he, he raves about it, which is always great to hear your mentor rave about something you've done that's separate from what he's built on his own. Last question we ask everybody on the show, knowing what you know now about pizza making, and you've learned a lot in the last several years, what would you tell yourself shortly before you opened up here to give yourself advice about going into this business? Um, you know, I, I think I would tell myself to really vet my investors well, know, know who you're going into bed with, because these are people that will have impact on your daily life at the restaurant. I would also tell myself that, you know, it's going to be okay. I, I think for about a year to a year and a half, I didn't know if this would work out. And we definitely had a rough go at it for a while. Uh, and little by little, you know, our guests have fallen up with us and helped spread the word. And that's that's been great. Um, so I think, you know, making just having that reassurance would have been nice, knowing that it was going to be okay. It's a great pizza. Honestly, come to Chicago. Come see Derek. Uh, you can get either the wood-fired pizza, the original from Brooklyn, or his fantastic Detroit style that you're not going to find anywhere else in Chicago, certainly. Uh, Derek Tong, thanks again so much. Uh, appreciate having you on the show. Thanks for having me on, Steve. I appreciate it.
And coming up in two weeks, a trip to Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where a consensus best in the city slice is made with pride. It wasn't great. I did a lot of mistakes. I, w- I wasn't putting out of water in the door, so the door was really tough. I remember the first week, and I was like, oh my God, I can't stretch this door. I don't know how to do it. Did you feel bad so- like charging people for this pizza? Yeah, absolutely. Massimo Lavelia tells me how he almost went belly up before turning a corner at La Industry and making it one of New York City's best slice shops. That's in two weeks on February 28th. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. We are at Pizza City USA on Instagram and more information about the book and our weekly tours. Visit us at PizzaCityUSA.com. I'm on all social media, by the way, at Steve Dolinsky with a Y. Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song. And next time you're in Chicago, check out Revival Food Hall in the Loop, where Palermo's 95th, the pride of Oak Lawn, is currently baking its Southside Chicago Thin Pizzas for the next month or so. Thanks for listening, everybody, and here is wishing you an optimal bite ratio always. <laughs>